0: I'm rocking on. There we go. We're rocking on green right here. Here we go. All right. You guys good this morning? Oh, yeah. You hungry? Definitely. I ain't talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. You ready? Because this is something that's going to affect a few of us in this room. Okay, all of us in this room. But that's because what we're going to read from the Word today affects all of us in this room. Uh, y'all were just singing a song, Worthy. The, the way you ended the, the last song, Worthy, Worthy worthy I don't know if you know who you just joined in that song but that's the angels that's where that one's happening you know we've got a challenge ahead of us and it's all of us it's every believer it's every follower of Christ today's uh is a continuation of the the series we started last week on on how to love people on how to love your neighbor and today I want to I want to take us uh I want us to take a view at our own heart. I want us to take a view of our own mind and our own spirit. Before we do anything, before we show any kind of kindness on purpose, I want us to back up a little bit and be introspective and ask the Lord to show us, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the purpose for what I'm doing? And so today's message is is Being the neighbor. Not not doing the things that a neighbor does, but but being the neighbor. What causes what we do. So how do we be the neighbor that Jesus has called us to be? And we make this too hard. Well, I'm going to do this a little better. I'm going to work a little harder at that attitude. I'm going to make some adjustments here or there. I'm going to smile a little more. I'm going to carry a little more, a few more ones in my pocket so I can give them away. That's where our mental side tends to go. When the reality is, you're going to stink at this unless you trust the Lord Jesus Christ to do this in your life. It has to be a work done by the Holy Spirit in your life after he has already changed your life. After he has already lined you up with eternity. Uh, That miracle has to have taken place in our lives. It only comes as a a result of the, the change that Jesus makes in us, salvation, the salvation he gives by grace through faith in him alone. That's the only place it can start. It's the place where you want it to come from. It's the place where you want it to come from when you first become a believer. It's the place that it has to come from when you've been a believer for 50 years. It still has to happen. So let's back up to Luke chapter 10 again, looking at the... We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. It's actually the story of the, the troubled scribe is, is what I would call it before I would go there. And then Jesus gives us the illustration of the Good Samaritan. But we're talking about a Jew who really knew the Jewish law. He was a scribe, he was, he was if you will, uh, writing the scriptures from, from one copy to another. So he knew it well. And he asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, that sounds super familiar, but then he responds to Jesus. He actually gives Jesus his own words back from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. He quotes these words in Luke chapter 10, which we know as Matthew chapter 22, because Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he gives exactly the same answer. Here's where it goes. Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, hearing again what we talked about last week, but taking it a step deeper. The man answered, "You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. and love your neighbor as you love yourself." So just an easy illustration that I think that uh, you will get. It helps me out just a little bit, but the most important thing in our life is the vertical aspect. It's us and Jesus. It is the most important part. It is the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm just telling you, nothing's going to happen, nothing good, nothing righteous. Uh, being the neighbor is not going to happen without the vertical peace in our lives. Once we have that vertical peace, then we have to figure out how to Add the horizontal piece. And you don't just take this one and turn it. You take this one and then God begins to work through you so that other people can see him. It's the horizontal side that has to happen in every one of our lives. This has to happen. And then when this happens, this is what we're called to do. It's the beautiful picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. It's the way that we love people in a Christ-like way. The two pieces are... Not independent of each other, because the second is dependent on the first. Without the horizontal, I mean, without the vertical, the horizontal will never take place. We don't do what we do in order to get or inherit heaven. That was the struggle with the heart of the guy who knew the law so well, but it had not affected his heart. We do, however, love people because we've received that grace in him. Because of the vertical, the horizontal then happens. Keep that in your mind. Don't let that go. That needs to be part of who we are. So how do do we, how do I be, how do I become that kind of neighbor? Well, it starts here, it starts here, it starts in our very spirit, it starts in our our soul after we have been transformed, changed by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's start simply with the way we treat our neighbors, right attitudes, why we do what we do. Being right in our heads and right in our hearts by the power of Jesus that then leads us to do actions that are spiritually Christ-like appropriate. Now, what if we start loving our neighbor and being the neighbor by just learning to love people? By learning to meet people where they are. Some of your tendencies are like my tendencies so I think, well, I got to get them fixed. I got to get them, I got to get their actions right so that they can met, then meet Christ. That's not the way it worked in my life. Even though I tried so hard, it's not the way it worked in your life. It's not the way it worked in this life. It was something that Christ did in her life that then transformed Miss Kathy. And that's exactly the same thing that has to happen in every single one of us. Now, what if we quit trying to live, we quit trying to love by our standard which may or may not be correct and we chose to say, okay, let's live by God's standard. That would be game changing for most of us in this room. The passage that would not leave me alone on this, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you haven't heard it from a pulpit lately, you probably heard it at a wedding. And it's a great passage for a wedding. Matter of fact, if anybody should treat one another with that kind of love, it ought to be a husband and a wife and a wife to a husband. If there's anybody that ought to be loving each other like that, that one ought to happen. But I'm just telling you, it cannot stop there. That love, as matter of fact, that love is not even specifically talking about a marriage. While it ought to be included in there, that is the way that we as believers, followers of Christ who have been changed from the inside out, that's the way it's supposed to look with every human. That's the way you be the neighbor. That's the way that is supposed to happen. Paul teaches us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what your life looks like, no matter what you've been through, no matter how together you think you have it, no matter how well you use your spiritual gifts, and this is all 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 and 1 all the way up, 1, 2, and 3 specifically. Uh, How you use your gifts, uh, no matter how big a sacrifices you make, how much money you give away, how much time you sacrifice, no matter how many people you think you have fooled, Without Jesus' kind of love, he says you're nothing. He says you are a, a clanging symbol. In other words, all you are is annoying to everyone around you because it's coming from the wrong place. It has to come from the right place. Now, when I teach, normally I do two things. I give you the what and I give you the so what. Today, I don't want to confuse you, but I want you to realize that all these are the same thing. The what is the so what in this one. It's four quick things. I want you to follow along with me. And again, you're familiar with these passages, but I want you to kind of, if you will, kind of slide into these passages, 1 Corinthians 13 with me, and see what the Lord speaks to your life about how you're supposed to love your neighbor. And remember, your neighbor is, well, it's anyone that God puts in your path. It's the people that live in your house. It's the people you go to school with. It's the people you work with. It's the person that's that's, uh, At the checkout line, at the store, it's the waitress, it's the mechanic, it's the people you work with at work. It's the people on the ball team with you. It's the people you cheer with, it's the people in the band with you. It's the people you work with here at the Grove as you volunteer and do things. It's all of those people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably one of the most difficult ones that I struggle with and probably one of the ones that you do too. It says this, love is patient patient. And kind. I wish I could just read it for what the face says on right there because it sounds pretty easy like that. It's patient. All right, I'm patient with you. I'll give you a few more minutes. I'm kind. I'll do something nice for you. I mean, especially if you're going to like do something nice to me, I'll do that. Here's the here's number one on your outline, and 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 if you. Um, if you signed in, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, if you signed in, then the outline pulled up. If you didn't sign in, it didn't pull up. Not my fault at this point. You just got to take notes, but find something to write it down with. Here we go. To be the neighbor, we need to be patient. There it is. To be, the pa- to be the neighbor, we need to be patient. The scripture says love is patient. This love that we are expected to live as followers of Christ is agape love. It's not normal, human-to-human love. It's not I care about you because you're a nice person. That is not what this is. It is described as the love that only Jesus, only God can completely live out. But yet, we're called to be perfect as he is perfect. So we're expected to live this way as well. Even though he died because he knew we wouldn't make it. You see where we're going? Okay, that's where it starts off. It is unselfish. It is is the person who will always care about the other person more than it does itself, which is not very American these days. Doesn't line up with our social media very well these days. It is sacrificial. So we are called to live out this kind of love even though Jesus knows we will never do this perfectly, we need his power to change our heart and our mind and our spirit. Love is willing to be patient. Love is willing to even wait if necessary. What is it waiting on? Well, let's walk a little deeper into it. I, I see it like this. Your neighbor will likely hurt you. They will offend you. They will take something and not respond or not, not return it to you. Uh, your neighbor will, will say things about you that are unkind. Okay, this is not just the people who live beside you. They're the people that are in class beside you and work with you. Your neighbor may even live in the four walls of your house, and that may be the meanest one that you've got to be patient with. That's your neighbor. Our human nature when they do what's wrong, wants to get them back as soon as possible. That's the human nature. That's not the Christ-like nature. But according to Paul in Galatians chapter 5, patience is not just something that he tells us is a way to love. Patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is part of who we're created to be when we're in Christ Jesus. It is Holy Spirit-driven. And God... I love this because the scripture makes this so clear in our lives. He is patient. And I don't know if this is soaked into your brain yet. If not, if it hasn't, it, you need to go get in the water a little bit and just sit and soak until it finally gets a little bit softer so it'll finally go in there, okay? God is patient. He usually gives us some space when we've messed up, whether we think we need it or not. He usually gives us a little space. But the reality is, even though He gives us space, He's still present. It's almost like, go think about what you've done, even without saying it. Usually, when that kind of thing happens. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 reminds us, the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake he does not want anyone to be destroyed but he wants everyone to repent so a lot of times we do something and it can be egregious and gross and terrible and all we sense is this from the lord like he stepped back for a little bit but you know what he didn't leave he didn't go anywhere he didn't leave you he didn't abandon you and the reality is in this room with a couple of a couple hundred people that will be through this place and watching online today. We've all offended him. Something that we deserve to get paid back for. But then he doesn't punish us immediately because he's patient. Folks, God has been so patient with me. Sometimes when I'm so, daggum, stubborn. And I won't do what he tells me to do, and I won't stop what he tells me to stop. And I'm, you know, that person you live with. I remember you look at him in the mirror, like we talked about last week, and that mirror that we look at is the Word where he reveals himself to us. He has been patient with you, he's been patient with me. Let's be like Jesus and be patient and be the neighbor. Give some grace there. The goal, remember the goal, is that they would meet Jesus. What we got first that turned into this, you want with them to turn to this, so from them it can turn to this. You see what I'm saying? He's changed us in such a way like that. Here's the second thing for you to think about. To be the neighbor, we need to be kind. And this here is the one that kind of begins to eat my lunch a little bit. Because this is not just something that we go and do. It's bigger than that. Patience and kindness are usually connected. Um, they're right together in Galatians chapter 5. They're right together right here in 1 Corinthians 13. They're, they're, they're like, they seem like twins, but they're not. Because they're very different. Patience has to do with our willingness or ability to wait kindness is the way that we handle or treat a neighbor when we've been offended or hurt. It's not just something we do, it's the way we treat them. So patience has to do with time. Kindness has to do with the attitude towards them as they've messed up. That feels so different for me. It's not something I've always just worked through in my head. We see signs in yards literally Saw one yesterday coming out of Killing, Alabama. And it said, just be kind. Now, I've always struggled with that sign because there's more to it than that. We interpret this to mean that we either do something nice for someone expecting nothing in return. Or maybe just we, we lay low as not to offend somebody in some way. That's the way we take just be kind. At least that's the way it comes across to me. But think about it like this. Within both of these scenarios we have an incredible chance of being unkind. Now, wait a minute! I'm doing something kind but in that kindness I'm actually unkind? Yeah, that's a great question. But it's true. If we know life if we know the life Eternity changing truth that comes through Christ. If we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, if we are, if that is in our hearts and in our brains and in our souls, but in our kindness, we keep kind, we keep, we keep, in our kindness, we keep quiet. So that we don't offend or upset anyone or don't make somebody feel uncomfortable. Are we not actually being unkind? I mean, how kind are we going to feel when it's their funeral that we're going to, but we were never kind enough to share with them the kindness of Christ, the truth of Christ, the hope of Christ, the way of Christ? I'm just saying that doesn't feel very kind. It may have felt kind for a moment, but for eternity, it became horrible. Because we hold back the only truth that can truly set them free. And so for this entire life, they don't know freedom. For this entire life, they don't know hope. Because in our attempt to be kind, we essentially become unkind. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as though Christ has forgiven you. We are to be kind like Jesus speaking the truth in love, Making sure that's where it comes from. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse four. If you go on, it says this, the, the second part of verse four says, "Love is not jealous." or boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. All right, so here's number three. To be a neighbor, we need to forgive. That's easy. Anybody can forgive, right? I mean, we do it every day. At least we're called to do it every day. If you go through the first part of this verse, it says jealous. We're not supposed to be jealous or proud or rude or demanding or irritable. And clearly, he's just saying, don't be that person. Do not be this person. Be this person. Be the the one who keeps no record of wronged. Now, if you notice where we're going, it's in 1 Corinthians 13. We're doing with all things it says to do. We're not even hanging out with the things that it says don't do. Throw away the mental or the physical list that you have of the people that have done you wrong. I hear it frequently. I hear somebody say, well, they just made the list. The list of people that I'm never going to care about anymore. The list of people that are, well, I'd hurt if I had a chance. The list of people that, well, they ain't right. The list of people that took something that didn't belong to them the list of people that said something, the list of people that did something to my kid, the list of the teachers, the list of the bosses. You know the list. You don't have to write it down because we ain't never going to forget it. Those things are never going to win anybody over. Instead, Jesus says, and he's teaching through Paul, instead, forgive. If anybody offends you, go to that person. Give them the benefit of the doubt just like jesus has given us that same the new, le- new the that's easy for you to say just not for me the new living translation says this so well it says keep no record of being wronged keep no record of being wrong it doesn't make a list and it won't keep a list going but you did this to me, but you hurt me, but you've done this so many times. Love, as hard as this is to say and think and do, love does not keep a list, it's of the you did me wrong list. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite theologians, said like this, he said he once knew a man who actually kept a written list of the rotten things people had done to him. A pastor heard this from one of his people. He also said that the man was one of the most miserable people he had ever known. Now hang on to this. This is important, okay? This may be worth your day. If you'll just hang on to this, it could change your life. Many people keep mental lists of the slights they have suffered. They never get over what happened in the past. Please let that sink in. They dwell on it. They live in it. They ferment in it. I don't know if you know what ferment means, but that means it starts to rot inside you. And as a result, they let the past shape their future and their present. It forms who they are. But true love has a bad memory of wrongs done to it. It's got a bad memory. Well, there's a good use for my bad memory to start forgetting about this crazy past stuff that I can't let go sometimes. Love is quick to hit the delete key. Love is always ready to say, I'm putting that in the past and I'm not going to bring it up again. You see, here's what I found out, and this is just a realization in my own life, but I think you're going to realize the same thing happens in your life as well. When we hold on to that list of the you-done-me-wrongs, we're not forgiving as we have been forgiven. And we think by making those on the list, we think that we're making those on the list pay for what they did to us. By not forgiving them. When in doubt, when without a shadow of a doubt, here's what's happening. We're building four walls of a prison around ourselves. To live in for the rest of our lives. I'm just saying, if that's where you are, it's time to get up and go on. Because you know who has the key to that? The same one who has the key to your eternity. It's Jesus the Christ. Let him take that key. Let him unlock it because he's going to have to from the inside out. You can pray that prayer and then let him let you out of that prison and walk on from this day and forget about that junk. I'm not saying let people keep hurting you. I am not talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff that it ain't happened again in so long. You can't even remember the last time it happened, but you will not let it go. That is the time. Love forgives. Our symbol of Jesus on the cross. That cross, you know what that cross says? I forgive you. And because you have been forgiven, we are supposed to forgive. Forgive your neighbor. How many times are we supposed to forgive him? 70 times 7? Huh. My list only had 25 lines on the page. What am I gonna do with all the rest of those? You see where he's going with this? It's unlimited. Nehemiah chapter 9 just shows a picture of how God forgave his people. Beginning in verse 17, he says, But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, rich in unfailing love. That sounds great, but I want you to read what he had to forgive them for. Look at the rest of it. You did not abandon them, even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Can y'all still hear me? There we go. They didn't just mess up one of the commandments. They like took it out, ripped it out, started all over again. Here's a beautiful golden cow. We're going to worship this when you said you shall have no idols before me. And they chose to worship him, but yet... In who he is and what he did, he completely forgave as he does us. There's only one that he won't forgive and that's not trusting him by grace through faith. It doesn't matter what you've done in this place. Some of us in this room need to forgive ourselves because Christ has already forgiven us because we ask him. And that's what he knows, it's what he did, it's what that blood was shed for. But we forget about that. I'm just telling you, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't keep a list of all the sorry things I've done. I'm just glad that mine aren't published in Scripture. Theirs are. Yours is not. Mine's not. We might be able to relate to them, but that's not exactly the... Your name's not in there. Be the neighbor. Forgive like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse six says, it does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. He goes on, he says, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Now the one on being kind got me. The one on being patient was a problem. The one on forgiveness, a constant thing that I have to deal with all the time. This one, I didn't understand this one and I started digging into it and I found a word I didn't know and I started digging into it in the Hebrew. But number four is this, to be the neighbor we need to protect. Now what in the world does it mean to protect? I was originally reading this in the New International Version. It's where I I remember seeing this verse the first time, love protects. I remember the first time I memorized 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love always protects. And then I started reading and everything else says it like I I read it here in the New Living Translation. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, never always hopeful. It endures through all circumstances. But the NIV gives us a picture in this that I I think we miss in a lot of places. It's the Greek word stego, S-T-E-G-O. You can go check it up. You can Google it in the Greek. It's kind of interesting. It literally means to endure or to cover or to protect. But what does that mean? Is that like eagle's wings where I'm protected underneath that? That's what came to my mind. It's what I always thought. Is that the protection that he's talking about? But it's not. He's talking about a way that we are to love other people the way that Christ loves us. But what does that mean when it says protect? Does that mean we're just looking out for them? We got their backs? Is that what that means? It's actually so much bigger than that. Here's what it means. It looks out for your neighbor. The idea is that while neighbors will do offensive and messed up things to us, we don't don't give up on them. That's part of the protection. We don't give up on them. We don't lose faith in them. We protect them. And then as I kept reading, I found this one other part of stego that I had never realized before. Even studying this word over and over again. You're protecting them from shame. You see, it's easy to see what's going on. You remember the, the thing about the, the splinter and the stick? You know, we tell somebody, they got, man, you got something bad in your eye while we're sitting here. And ours looks more like this, you know. We got a log in our eye. They got a little bit tiny splinter. We're protecting them from shame. People don't come to Jesus because he shames them. I didn't come to Jesus because he shamed me. I didn't come to Jesus because he said, you're the sorriest thing I've ever seen on the face of this earth. And I'm like, well, I'll take some of that. Do you say we're not, that's not the human side of us. That's not the way our hearts work. If you want somebody to love you, you're not shame on you. You're terrible. You're the worst neighbor. You're the worst sister. You're the worst wife. You're the worst husband. You're the worst brother. You're the worst. What do they want to do at that point? They want to do this. (laughs) See? That's what we do when we get in that kind of circumstance circumstance where we are shamed. Which gives us one of the most amazing scripture passages. Romans 2 and verse 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Do you remember Him at the well with the woman? It wasn't the shame that drove her to Jesus. It was the love and the forgiveness and the protection that he offered, even in all that she had done. Go and sin no more. Not, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Not, I can't believe anybody ever did anything like that. No, that's real. It's sin. He didn't, he didn't excuse her sin. He didn't say, well, that's all right. That's not what he said. Let's step away from that. Let's don't, let's don't go there. Don't bring wrath on yourself through that. Because sin has to be punished. You don't want that. Here's what you want. That's what I died for. All that stuff, that list that you did. Let the Holy Spirit help you become patient. Let the Holy Spirit help you become kind. Let him help you learn to forgive and let him help you learn what protecting someone truly means. These are, if you will, heartitudes, attitudes of how we stop closing the doors of opportunity before we ever have the opportunity to begin opening one with someone So many times we slam it with our attitudes before we ever get there. I see the goal of Jesus' kind of love being that we don't destroy the opportunity to help others understand their greatest need by not loving them this way today. Now I've got a strange invitation for you this morning because I want you to be patient and I want you to learn to be kind and I want you to learn to forgive and I want you to learn to protect. But you can't do that without this. Alistair Begg said this. Sometime back, check this out.
1: If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this because I am continuing loved ones the only proper answers in the third person because he because he they think about the thief on the cross and what have amazed I can't I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him how did that shake out for you because you were you were you were you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend You've never been in a Bible study, you've never got baptized, you didn't, you didn't know a thing about church membership, and, and yet, and yet, you made it! You made it! How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, like, cause I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, but, 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 did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. we have to get the supervisor in. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, but let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy just stared. And eventually in frustration he says on, on what basis are you here? And he said the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now the, that is the only answer. If you are to die, tonight,
0: I want you to stand where you are. If your salvation is based on anything, if what you're trying to do, if the kindness you're trying to show, if the, the patience you're trying to show, if the forgiveness you're trying, if the protection you're trying to offer, If any of that is based on what you have been able to do, you're missing the whole thing. The reason you are able to walk into the presence of Jesus Christ is the grace of the man in the middle. And that's it. It's time for us to quit trying to do this on our own because we can't. You may have been at this spot and you've never trusted Jesus like that. And you need to know about the man in the middle. Come catch Drew. Come catch me. Let's get this thing settled. If you're struggling with loving your neighbor. Or you just got something going on in your life and you've got to get it off your chest. Take it to Jesus. That's what this altar is for right now. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you. Don't let us hold back in any way. In your holy name we pray. And you come right now.